morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 12, page 52 in your Exodus journal, if you have one of those. I tried to get a jump start on that bumper video song so that I'm not out of breath. If I get started too late, I start every sermon, you can hear it. It's like, <sighs> if I'm carrying this thing across the stage, so better shape and earlier on the uh, entryway. We have come to really the climax of what we've been waiting for since the start of Exodus. God has continued to tell the children of Israel that he was going to bring them out. And all throughout all these chapters, we see God warning Pharaoh. We see him bringing his judgments against the land of Egypt for their oppression of his people. He was going to deliver them and bring them out and It has felt like we have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and now we have this moment that we've been waiting for. The great redemptive act in Israel's history in the Old Testament, the the moment that they would look back on and sing of and tell stories of and remember throughout their generations, which is really what we're talking about today, what our text focuses on is not just the redemption, but remembering redemption by the blood of the Lamb. So I've titled this message, Redemption Pictured and Remembered. And if you are physically able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read Exodus 12, verse 1 through 28. This is the Word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses In which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. 
Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly to the Lord, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought out your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Let's pray. Father, your servants are here before you, open Bibles and open hearts, and we desire to hear what your Spirit wants to say to us, your church. Lord, I have been praying and continue to pray that if this passage is familiar to any, that you would wake them with a fresh wonder and glory at what you show us here. And I pray that if it's new, that these pictures would come alive that we would see your goodness and all that you have ordained to magnify your son and to call us to himself. Please speak to our hearts. Give us faith to trust you and to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There is so much in that passage, but it comes right into a very pressing problem that we all have, and that is that We all suffer from spiritual amnesia. We all are prone to forget the most important realities about the living God and the Lord Jesus Christ and who what He has done and who we are in Him. We're prone to forget. And so that's why all throughout the scriptures you see these commandments to be careful to remember. Or Paul would write to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ as preached in my gospel. 
And you just have to know, if, if you have to be told to remember Jesus Christ, you can forget anything. But that, is, that commandment comes to us. I read somewhere this week that most of us suffer from a spiritual uh, amnesia and deja vu. So it's that we, we remember that we've forgotten this before. <laughs> right? uh, I know I've forgotten that before. And, and so that is us. We are in constant need of remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and remembering him in light of our sin and our need. Remembering him in light of our fears and uncertainties. Remembering him in light of our trials and our pain. To remember his love for us, his holiness, and his redemption by his blood. Whenever we talk about remembering, I can't help but remind you of that passage from C.S. Lewis's The Silver Chair, where Aslan is giving the instructions to Jill, and he tells her, before she goes on this mission, remember, remember, remember. Remember the signs. It's, it's, he says, remember and believe nothing else matters. And so she remembers so clearly in this mountaintop experience, but as she goes down and gets in the fog of the everyday life, there's so many distractions, and she feels so confident that she's going to remember all these things that he had said, and she forgets all through. And it's a picture of us on our own spiritual journey. So this chapter and Passover itself, unleavened bread themselves, are meant to serve as a reminder to the children of Israel first, but also this warning to us that we are in need of God's rescue and how glorious God has worked that salvation for us in Christ. And it emphasizes our ongoing need to remember. And so uh, if you're a note taker, our first gleaning or section header for this morning is redemption pictured, God's means for salvation. Redemption pictured. It is always stunning to me to look at Israel's real life or the real lives of people who lived all throughout the Old Testament and to know that we saw last week these things were written for our instruction, but they're people's real lives. So God is orchestrating the stories of their lives and weaving it in such a way that their lives serve as a living illustration or metaphor for us. And the pictures hold. And if we had vantage point enough to see it, we would see that God's doing the very same thing with your life. That he is actually using your life to tell a story and to demonstrate truths about God. But we see it all throughout Israel's history. They lived in the shadows or the foreshadows of the substance that we have come to experience in Christ. And we need to know and see this morning how much God delights in pictures and in illustrations that demonstrate his truth to us. He's done it everywhere. I had a conversation with a friend today that said God has put his glory on display everywhere. Every single thing that he has made tells a story of who he is, of his divine attributes, of his great power. And so it is a, it's a blindness that sin puts on people to be able to walk around in God's world and not see him screaming to us of his glory and goodness. And so we can go to this scene here this morning and behold the shadow, and we will get to the substance that is in Christ uh, very shortly. So in verse 3, 
Read again with me. He says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses and a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to what they could eat. They were to make their count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You can take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, and then the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill their lambs at twilight. So I want to get into the scene with you today. We went just before Passover this year as a family to a friend's farm, and they had recently had a litter of lambs. Now this word for Passover lamb, it is, it can be, it says, from the sheep or from the goats. So it just means small livestock. But we went, and there were all these lambs, and it was so loud. I think there was only maybe 15 of them, but it was so loud because what she did was she separated the young yearlings from the mothers so that our kids could play with them, and the moms were freaking out, and the babies were freaking out because they were separated. And they were the perfect picture of innocence and gentle humility from the whiteness of their wool to the ability of our children young children to go to them to try to pet them Um, they were terrified of the sheepdog but not the sheep and Levi was chasing them down and grabbing them and holding them like a little shepherd and they were just a perfect picture of innocence and they loved being with these sheep now according to a historian that lived in the early uh, centuries following Jesus, they, they documented Jewish history, and they said that a household, so if you're thinking about, okay, a lamb for a house, how, what does that mean? And if it's, there's, the only possibility is that the lamb would be too big for a household. There's, there's no t- possibility that the lamb wouldn't be sufficient for one house, but if you needed to so that you make sure you didn't waste any of the lamb and that the picture held true of what it was meant to portray, you could combine houses. So how big is that? What are we talking about? So this is all part of us trying to picture this scene, okay? We know that um, from this church historian, Josephus, that a household was probably around 10 men coming together with their wives and children, and it could be as big as Um, if multiple houses came together, 20 men with their wives and children. So even if you just took those numbers, and later in Exodus 12, it says that there's 600,000 men of Israel that are brought out of Egypt. I'm using all of that to back our way into, there is this night that God ordains anywhere from 30,000 to 60,000 lambs. They all have to be a male, one-year-old, without blemish. If it was missing an eye, couldn't use it. If it had a bone broken, couldn't use it. So they would come on the 10th day, they would bring them all from the pastures, wherever they were, they would bring them into their houses and they would inspect them for these three days leading up to the 14th day. So I want you to imagine all your families all together and you're like, oh, our family's a little bit too small. Our family would be fine. I think we could take care of one by ourselves. But just imagine if you don't have double digits in your family and you're combining with another family and it's like hey this is our lamb and the kids are all playing with it and they think it's so cute and it's this perfect picture of innocence and they're bound up with it too right you're not having kids in the house that aren't bonding with this lamb and 
being forced to ask the questions later, maybe even with tears, what, what happened to the lamb? So on the 10th of the month, now remember, we talked about this before. The Lord says this, is, this event is so important. It is a new beginning, a new genesis. This is where you will restart your calendar. Everything is brand new from this point. You will mark your lives from this moment. On the 10th day of the first month, I want you to bring these lambs, anywhere from 30,000 to 60,000, brought into the houses where they lived. I already told you how loud 15 were. And they're inspecting them, and they're living with them. And then on the 14th day at twilight, complete silence. As all the lambs' lives are poured out for the sake of the blood. And so God commanded them, I want you to kill the lambs at twilight. And I want you to take the blood that is in the basin. And I want you to put it on the doorposts of your house. So they had this basin at the base of the door. That the, the basin could also mean threshold. So you literally had blood that was pictured at the bottom and the top and on the sides. Each one of them pointing ahead to the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ, where his blood would be poured out for our transgressions. And it's important that he says, look, you're to eat this meal ready to go. I want everybody's belts fastened, staff in your hand, because when it is go time, I want, you're coming out. I'm going to bring you out in haste. And all of these pictures were important for the story that they were telling. He says, all of it needs to be roasted with fire and none of it left over. Because fire is a picture of judgment. That This lamb was experiencing, the, as a metaphor, the fire of God in the place of God's people. So that it would be completely consumed. And not one part of it you should leave over to the morning. Because the one that this pictured would pour himself out in death. Not withholding any part of himself for the sake of rescuing his people from the just wrath of God that they deserve. So that night, God himself, so you need to read when it says the angel of the Lord travels through the land of Egypt to strike the land of Egypt, that this is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus himself traveling through Egypt to strike every firstborn in the land of Egypt in judgment for their idolatrous pagan practices for the way that they had oppressed his people because the wages of sin is death and it is what everyone deserves. And inside the homes of the Israelites, they were to be eating this lamb because the lamb was not merely their substitute with the blood over the door, but it was their sustenance for the journey so that it was it poured out its life so that they could have life and strength for the journey ahead as God brought them out. And so look at these key verses in verse 13 and 14 where God says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I hope you see here from these verses that it is not readily apparent to the Israelites that God would pass over them merely because they profess to be his people. This was 
the, the blood on the doorposts was a sign, and it wasn't a sign for them. It was a sign for God. It was when God saw the blood. It didn't matter what they thought about the blood or whether they thought it should have been sufficient or if they even understood it. When God saw the blood, he said, it'll be a sign to me. It'll be a sign, it'll be a token that points ahead to a truer and more ultimate sacrifice that I will provide for my people. And when I see that blood, I will pass over you in judgment. So it highlights the, the truth that they and we deserve the same judgment as the Egyptians. That's what God is driving home. When I see the blood, I will pass over you when I travel through the land of Egypt to strike all the firstborn. Every firstborn of anyone guilty would die were it not for the blood over the doorposts of the house. So I want you to imagine eating this meal together at night and you're actually picturing yourself inside this house. And you know that God is traveling through to strike, through, strike down the firstborn of the land. And so maybe you and another family are together and there's several firstborns through the house. Can you imagine what's going through their mind? Levi, can you imagine what would be going through your mind? I hope that, I hope that works. I, <laughs> I really hope that this blood holds. And the whole land of Egypt has been told this is going to happen. So mothers could be clutching their firstborns, just praying and pleading to their gods that this would not come true. And then the angel of death travels through and their firstborn goes limp and is lifeless. So maybe the Israelites could hear the cries of Egypt that were louder than they'd ever been before, getting closer and closer as the destroyer worked closer to their houses. And they're praying in that moment for the sufficiency of the blood. But their only hope was that God's means for redemption was sufficient to rescue them from the wrath that they deserved. In that moment, their hope is not, I hope that he's had a good enough week with the Lord. I hope that we have kept our rituals faithfully enough. I hope, God, please, may we have prayed well enough. May we have been kind enough neighbors to our Egyptian friends enough. Their only hope was that when God saw the blood, that he would do what he said and that the blood would hold. It was not their national identity that saved them. Religious performance could not save them. Their character could not save them. God's only means of salvation was the blood of the lamb. And this is big for your life, believer. They may not have been able to see the blood, They may not have even understood the fullness of the implications of all that it would picture. But that didn't change the fact that when God saw the blood, he honored it and it was effectual for them to save them from his just wrath and to deliver them. And so this is what this picture portrays. Redemption by the blood of an innocent substitutionary sacrifice. That God is saving his people from his own justice by accepting a token of the redemption to come. So that is the first gleaning from this text this morning is redemption pictured, God's means of salvation. So God, through pictures, is showing us his only means of salvation is by his grace through faith in the blood of a lamb. Next, we come to redemption remembered, God's memorial of salvation. It is stunning 
that before God ever works this salvation for his people, he's talking to them about remembering it. The, the command to remember does not come after God had worked this miraculous redemption, but he's talking about it like it's already happened in the past tense because he's good for it. He is faithful, and so he's saying, when I bring you out this night, you're going to reset your calendar and you're going to remember this every single year. Do not forget. And so in verse 11, you see that it's already called. He's already got a feast to celebrate that is called the Lord's Passover. And he commands them to keep this feast, to keep it throughout all your generations over and over again. I think two or three times it says, keep the feast, keep the feast. And we're about to come to the verses that immediately follow this description of Passover in talking about unleavened bread. But look with me quickly at verse 24 through 27. Because this gets at the heart, the big picture view of why God gave us this memorial. We didn't know when we were scheduling to preach this that we would be preaching this on Memorial Day weekend. But memorials are for remembering. This weekend we're remembering those who gave their lives for our freedom. And so memorials are for remembering. And in verse 24, God commands them, You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. So this preparation of the Passover lamb, and bringing in of the lamb on the 10th day and sacrificing it on the 14th day of the first month was a reenactment of sorts of the sacrifice that was made so that they could be brought out into freedom. And they were to do this year after year. So it wasn't just that they had a meal where they talked about the lamb being sacrificed year after year. Every single year, there were Passover lambs that were prepared for this moment. They were actually born in order to be sacrificed, kept blemish-free so that they could tell the truth about what God would do. And every single year, they were to keep this feast and sacrifice the lamb. And the kids would always ask, why are we killing this lamb? And he would tell them, because when God brought us out of Egypt, we deserved judgment. We, we deserved to die, but we were redeemed by the blood of a lamb. And so we keep this feast. This is all about what Elijah read for us in our call to worship in Psalm 145, verse 4, where it says, One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. And so this is a huge part of us remembering as the people of God, the redemption of God, is so that we would disciple our children in remembering the salvation that God has wrought for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so remembering was so important. Passing on his glorious works and telling of his salvation to the next generation was so important that God said, I'm going to make a feast for you and you shall celebrate it religiously every single year. And so here's the feast, Passover and unleavened bread. Now you may be really familiar with this text or it could be brand new, but the bit about unleavened bread seems like it can come out of nowhere because it seems like a very small part of the Passover 
Like we get sacrificing the Passover lambs every year so that they would remember being brought out by the blood of the lamb. But the, but the bread doesn't seem like it has as big of a role in the deliverance of God's people. And here we have a lot of verses. We're talking verse 15 through 20. He's emphasizing not just the feast of a Passover, but out of, with Passover, there's this whole additional feast that is inseparable from Passover called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For the sake of time, I'm not going to reread verses 15 through 20, so let's just hit the high points. He says, on the first day of unleavened bread, so you have Passover on the 14th of the month, and on the 15th of the month, the very next day, you have the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it would last for one week. And the high points are, you need to search your houses and remove any trace of leaven or yeast anything that would cause the dough to rise, you need to remove it from your homes. And you cannot do any work on that first day. And then for this whole week, you're to eat unleavened bread and no leaven or yeast is to be found in your house. And then on the final day, so that if this was the 15th, then on the 21st, you have another holy assembly on which you can do no work. And so you're You're to gather as a church on the 15th and no work can be done. And then you need to eat unleavened bread all week long. And then on the last day of the week, you're to gather back together as a church and you are to worship and no ordinary work can be done on that day either. And two different times, he says, if anyone eats what is leavened during this week, you'll be cut off from the nation of Israel. So this remembering was serious. This is not a a minor remembering that this picture that God is telling us from this feast was more important than their lives. Where he says, you shall remember and you need to be serious about clearing your home from leaven and from yeast. And if anybody does not do this, then you have no portion in Israel or in Israel's God. Now, throughout the Jews' history, they knew that yeast or leaven represented sin and the way that sin can spread and bring about its destructive effects on everything that it touches. And so I'm not, I don't bake. Uh, maybe Jordan could affirm this for us or Kate um, or a lot of you. So if leaven gets into something, it spreads through the whole lump. And sin works much the same way. And so God gave them this picture to showcase the destructive and contagious effects of sin. And we see this in the New Testament in in different places. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 9, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he's referring to sin. That a little bit of sin tolerated among the people of God will spread and infect all the people of God. And so, in a similar way, unleavened bread came to symbolize holiness or being sinless. So if leaven represents sin in our old selves, the feast of unleavened bread symbolizes our sanctification and us being diligent to search our lives for any hurtful way in us Or like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, 
We're to cleanse ourselves of every defilement of flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So this is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was always meant to picture. And I was trying to think of an example for us that's common to our everyday life so that this would kind of drive us home of the seriousness and what this feast was meant to do and to be. And you know the example I thought of? Tick checks. Because we all know this kind of feverish checking of your children for ticks after they've been playing in the woods because... I don't know what's happening, sorry. Ticks can latch on in places where you least expect them or in places where you may not catch them. And if you don't catch them, then the consequences could be life-altering. You could have minor consequences or it could destroy your life. Not to make your tick checks that much more uh, (laughs) serious than they already are. But... I can't tell you how many times my kids come in. It's like, Daddy, Daddy, I think I've got to check. Can you check? And, and then I, I feel back here, and I'm like, oh, no, no, baby, that's, that's your bone. That's, that's just the, the, uh, a bone in your head. It's like, okay. But they're freaking out because they know, like, this is serious. i got to get it off me. And so this is the same kind of diligent search that God wants us to make of our lives, to search your life so that it is free from what dishonors God. And you have this heart of the psalmist from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so it's very important to note this is to happen individually, but it also happens in the community of the church so that God gave us each other, much like the kids, it's, the Tick Check is kind of a community project a lot of times. Some, a lot of times, maybe you guys don't do this. For us and our family, it's like, all right, boys, y'all go get a shower and like check each other for ticks. <laughs> because when they're little, it's like, this needs to be, this doesn't need to be like a lazy job of a five-year-old. Like we need to be on this together because you might be able to see something that I can't see and I need your help in identifying it so that it can be removed. And so that's the language that Paul gives to us for the church doing this together as a community so that we would be able to see what dishonors God and deal with it together so that together we might treasure Christ more than the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. So in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is using this Passover and the week of unleavened bread to talk about our sanctification and the way that we treat sin seriously as a church. And so the Corinthian church had sin in the church, and they were not dealing with it. It probably looked something like, well, God's grace is sufficient, and it's none of my business what's going on with other people's lives, and so, like, we're just not going to deal with it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Now, this is so hopeful. Listen to this. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So just right there, he's saying, Passover has really happened. 
Jesus is the Passover lamb, and his blood has been shed for your soul, so now you really are unleavened. So he's saying, we need to be collectively in keeping with the truth of what he has done. He has imputed his righteousness to us and has truly made us holy to himself. He has made us unleavened. And so we need to be in our experience what he has done because Christ has been sacrificed. We really are unleavened. So verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So you see how all these feasts were foreshadowing and picturing our redemption in Christ and our ongoing sanctification. So Passover, being redeemed by the blood of Christ over our hearts, pictures our justification and us being forgiven on the basis of a sacrifice made outside of ourselves, of a blemish-free lamb in our place. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread pictures our entire life with Jesus, where we are to pursue holiness in the fear of God and actually pursue being Christ-like. And the reason why these feasts are so joined together that you can't really separate the two is because you cannot separate in your salvation justification from sanctification. There is no redemption by the blood of the Lamb that's not also followed by this feast of unleavened bread and pursuing holiness of the fear of God. If there's no pursuit of holiness, it is proof that you were never in the house. And so that is why God makes such a huge deal. If anyone eats leaven, then they're to be cut off from the people of God. There is no cheap grace that wants to glory in God's forgiveness but deny his lordship that we are to pursue holiness in the fear of him and to press on together to have our lives be free of known sin. And when we find it, we bring it to him. So that's what in, in Jewish history, that's what they would do when they would find leaven. They would take it and they'd scoop it up and they'd take it and they'd burn it outside the camp. They would deal with it so that it was, would no longer be in the house and there was no risk of it spreading in the house. So when they remembered Passover year after year, they were to remember that it was only by God's grace through faith in the blood of a lamb that they were saved from the wrath of God. And then when they remembered the Feast of Unleavened Bread year after year, it was a reminder that they belonged to him and they were to be holy as he is holy. And all of it is a picture for us to point us to Jesus. So we have redemption pictured in God's means of salvation, the blood of a lamb, if redemption remembered, we're talking about God's memorial of salvation. He gave us specifically, before it ever happened, he gave us feasts and memorials to say, remember this. Your whole life depends on, don't forget this. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and you must pursue holiness in the fear of God. And now we come to redemption accomplished. Behold the Lamb of God. All the blood of lambs for every Passover through all of Israel's history could never take away sin. They were all tokens and signs that God would see, and they were reminders in God's two-way memory of not just the redemption that happened when he brought them out of Egypt, but the redemption that was coming when he provided for them the Christ who would take away the sins of the world. 
But you can see these shadows even in this text. You can see in verse 12, or sorry, verse 21, when Moses goes to the elders and he says, go select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. And so it, it is just significant. All these little parts everywhere are so significant for us. He doesn't say, go kill the Passover lambs. He's saying, I want you to kill the Passover lamb because that language is meant to throw you ahead 1,500 years to see there is a Passover lamb who is coming, that this one is only a picture of. Jesus came like a Passover lamb born to die. He has always been the lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world, the Bible calls him. And so he was prepared for the very purpose of giving his life for the life of the world. And this picture we see consistent throughout the New Testament. But take, for example, in John 19, verse 36, as Jesus has just given his life for the life of the world, and they don't break his legs. And John says, this was to fulfill the scripture. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say, not one of his bones will be broken except for Exodus chapter 12, when it's talking about don't break the bones of the Passover lamb. And so he's saying Jesus was fulfilling this picture that God was giving you a metaphor, a picture to illustrate this truth. And he says, don't let one of its bones be broken. And then God in his vantage point from the cross is saying, this fulfilled the scripture, not one of the Passover lamb's bones shall be broken. Because it was always pointing to Jesus. And he came in that moment to Fulfill it. The blood of an innocent sacrifice continued to picture the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. You see it when Adam and Eve come out of the garden, God provides skins for them. There was a sacrifice of an innocent uh, animal in their place to atone for their sin. Same thing, God honors Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's because he was sacrificing an animal to atone for his guilt and his sin. And there you see God's atonement for a man. Here in the institution of Passover, you see God's atonement for a household. So we're going to get progressively bigger and larger. God would then later in Leviticus install a, an annual day called the Day of Atonement, where they would go in and take the blood of spotless uh, lambs, and they would take it into the holy place, into the presence of God to atone for the whole nation. And that was only once a year by the high priest for the sake of the people. So you see this progression. Here you've got an innocent sacrifice for a man. Here at Passover, innocent sacrifice for a household. Day of atonement, innocent sacrifice for the nation. And then you come to the book of John. And as John the baptizer is f being a forerunner, for the Lord Jesus, and he announces his arrival. What does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was the last lamb, the ultimate lamb, the lamb that all these other lambs had been pointing to. And he had, to that moment, lived a completely sinless, blemish-free life, and he would continue to all the way to the cross Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin. In Luke 22, Jesus says to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Because this was the Passover that every other Passover 
pointed to. He came, this is stunning. All these pictures matter so much to God. He's driving home so that you don't miss it. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, you know what day of the month that was? The 10th of the first month. The lamb was coming into the city to be inspected. And he goes through days of inspection. And even Pilate's own testimony was, we could find no guilt in this man. And then, on the 14th day of the month, the very same day as the Passover and Exodus, and by the way, the Jews still celebrating Passover when this is happening. So just imagine a nation full of lambs. At this point, far more than 60,000. All bleeding, and Jesus is on the cross. The lights go out at noon. Nobody can see a thing. And then at twilight, as all of them are supposed to slaughter their Passover lambs, the Lamb of God gives his life for the life of the world. The veil of the, the curtain that separated us from the presence of God is torn in two from top to bottom because the final sacrifice has been made. And Jesus opened up a way for you to be completely forgiven. It is true for your life as it was for Israel. When he sees the blood, he will pass over you in judgment. Listen quickly just to a few verses from the New Testament on the sufficiency of the blood of Christ for you, believer. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. This is what Passover pictured the whole time. It wasn't because of who you are. It's not because of your identity, your national identity, your character, your performance. It's when he sees the blood according to the riches of his grace and kindness that he lavishes on you, that he forgives you and sets you free. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, It's the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. That blood purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So this is what Hebrews emphasizes all through, that a sacrifice has been made once and for all that actually cleansed you. It forgave you of sin and cleansed you from your guilt so that there's no longer any consciousness of sins in the worshiper. That's how forgiven you truly are. How much his blood cleanses you from your guilt. He has already judged your sin in the flesh of Christ. Th that he, his judgment has passed over you. It's on the other side of you now. It's not, it's not in front of you as something to fear. It is behind you as experienced by the Lord Jesus Christ. And his blood covered you. And now as you are in him, you are safe. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, he has, by his one-time sacrifice, put the blood over the door of your life, and he has perfected you even as you are being sanctified. So you can say, well, I don't feel perfected. Yeah, you're being sanctified. 
But he has imputed his righteousness to you so that when the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees innocence. He sees forgiveness. He sees redemption. He sees a child of his who belongs to him, no longer subject to the wrath of God, but God, he has passed over you in judgment. And now he is sanctifying you as you live in the feast of unleavened bread, purifying your heart to become more and more like Jesus. And so let's quickly bring it home to today. The first question is, are you under the blood? It's so clear from our passage that salvation is all of grace and all of God's mercy and his kindness. He's the one who provided the means for salvation. But Israel's part was to appropriate God's provision that he had given by faith and to actually apply the blood and his means of salvation over the doors of their heart, over the doors of their houses. So in the same way, Jesus gave his life for the life of the world, and now he invites anyone who will to come to him and to appropriate what he has done at the cross in coming to him in humility and in repentance, saying, Jesus, I am a sinner and undone before you, and I need saving, and I am pleading with you, would you forgive me of my sin and come be the king of my life? And his offer is that anyone who comes to him, he will not cast out. But he, his, this is the command. Hear the gospel, hear the good news of Christ crucified and raised for your salvation, and then come to him so that you might be under the blood. Second, for the people of God, is that we're called to remember and worship. Remember that the whole point of this text is, yes, to remember and celebrate and highlight the historical truth and fact of the exodus of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. That really happened, and it really was a metaphor of real salvation that has happened for us in Christ. And God has given them this feast so that they would remember, and he has given us a covenant meal in the Lord's Supper so that we would remember and worship. And so the people, when they hear the instructions, it's so moving. He says, I want you to tell these things to your children. I want you to remember, remember, remember. And what do the people do? They bow their heads and they worship before it ever even happened because they know that God is good for his promises. And every time we come to the table each week, we have to guard ourselves of making it some rote ritual where we approach it with some cavalier casualness where our bodies come but not our hearts. And that's people's fear. They say, I don't want to do it every week because I don't want it to become some rote ritual that I don't really mean. But if that happens to us, the problem is not the table. The church has celebrated communion weekly for thousands of years, and we have a church that's just now come into consistency with that and obedience in that. But it's for our joy so that we would remember because I'm prone to forget weekly. And so are you. And so we come together. We do the tick checks. We ask God to search our hearts, and it's a reminder to us afresh, yes, I don't belong to myself. I've been redeemed, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the unblemished blood of the Lamb of God. And so I don't belong to myself. I've been bought with a price. I need to glorify God in my body. I need to remember these things every single week. And so we come with fear and with worship, bowing our hearts and worshiping the Lamb who was slain for our salvation. So, are you under the blood? Remember and worship. Um, 
third of four, okay? We're almost done. Is clean out. We need to clean out our lives of the leaven of sin, and we need to not let up on the search. And so the, the beauty of the gospel is that we can invite the Holy Spirit searching in our lives, knowing that whatever he finds is under the blood. And whatever he finds, we can bring to Jesus fresh, and we don't have to run and hide. We don't have to go make fig leaves to cover ourselves. We can actually confess our sin with boldness because Jesus has already suffered for them. He has already forgiven us of them, and now he calls us to bring them to him so that we can be free. And so when you find things in your life that are unpleasing to Jesus or that are hard for you to let go, bring them into his light. And when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can convince ourselves that we're doing that, but James says confess your sins to one another so that you can receive healing from the Lord. Because it can feel easy to humble ourselves before the Lord and feel like we're actually confessing it. But then you go to try to confess that same sin to a brother or sister and you can realize how little humility is actually there before the living God. And so he says, this is a community project. Clean out your lives and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. And then lastly, the lamb is your substitute and your sustenance. He is for you and for your household. So Jesus' life was poured out in death so that you could be forgiven and free. But don't miss the fact that the family actually ate the lamb because the lamb was to be their life. And he gave us this so that we would know that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is how Paul writes about it in Romans 5. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What does that mean? His blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven of our sins. But now, even much more than that, as we abide in him and his word abides in us, he lives in us and lives his life through us. And so we are called to have Christ as our very life, not just our substitute in the past, but our daily bread for today. And so let's feast on him. Before he ever gave us bread to illustrate it, Jesus was the bread of life. He created bread to tell you the truth about your need for him so that when you experience hunger, it would be a reminder to you, I need Jesus. And so may we go forward this week, even as we come to the table now, May we know that his blood covers us and his life sustains us. Let's pray together. Father, we cannot praise you enough. Lord, we want to begin by acknowledging that we deserve your just judgment. You have said in your word that failure to honor you, like you've designed us to worship you and to love you, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to put you above everything else, a failure to do that is sin and the wages of sin is death. But you have made provision to deliver us from real sin and real guilt and real death by the blood of Christ. It is your only means of salvation that you have offered to the world. And so we come gladly, Lord Jesus, to you Lord, worshiping you, that you have poured out your 
soul to death so that you could justify the many. We rejoice in the sufficiency of your blood for how much the Father prizes your righteousness that it would be effectual for even us and that you could impute your righteousness to us so that now we are actually clean. Lord, help us to honor your sacrifice with gratitude by pressing on to know you, pressing on to take hold of that for which you have taken hold of us, that we would lay off the sin that so easily entangles us, and that with joy we would fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race that you have set before us, pursuing holiness in the fear of you. Help us to do it not just as individuals, but to do it together. You have given us each other one body so that we might know you and help each other to become like you. So would you come and convict us of sin? Shine your light on every corner of our heart. Lord, do a real tick check on us. And then would you please remove the leaven from our lives that we might really portray you and your righteousness to the world around us and other people would be attracted to you, Lord Jesus, that they would hear you proclaimed as we remember and proclaim you and that you would draw people to yourself as we're faithful as your witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen.